I wanted something that was largely traditionally physical retail so I could bring it online with a more direct-to-consumer model. My last company, we went heavy physical retail at launch, which was a huge mistake. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ecom Growth Show. Let's go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Ecom Growth Show. Today we're super excited. We have with us uh, Colin McIntosh of Sheets and Giggles. And uh, yeah, we're just going to dive in and see what we can learn from him. Uh, welcome to the show, Colin. Thanks for having me. And, and hopefully you can learn some sheet from me. So. <laughs> cold, cold, cold. No pun cold intended, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And you're, you're based out of Denver, right? Yep, I'm looking right out at the Rockies right now, actually. Okay, perfect. Yeah, dude, I yeah, love Denver. Where are you guys based? We're up here in Homer, Alaska. I did. I spent a year in Denver, oh. but uh, yeah, yeah, we're in a different mountainous area now. But uh, live up here with our our wives cool. and kids, and this is where we put down roots. <laughs> Jeez, I've been in Alaska once in my life. It's absolutely stunning, but um, that's a little far. That's cool. Where'd I'm you, glad that you, I'm glad you guys? Where'd you go in Alaska? I've been to. Uh, I've been to Juneau. Uh, I've been to Anchorage. I went salmon fishing in, I want to say, Ketchikan. Oh, that's cool. Um, and uh, yeah, I've had, I, had a, I had a fun little trip up there with my family. Uh, I was 17 or 18 at the time, so it's been a little while. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the memories don't really fade. Alaska is completely gorgeous. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm from South Florida, so it's, it's a little far from home. Yeah, <laughs> that is a little like, bit far. Like opposite corners yeah. there. <laughs> That's cool, yeah. man. Well, we'll just jump right in here. Uh, tell us a little bit about your personal life and your work and uh, kind of why you do what you do. My personal life? I mean, it's all right. It's going fine. Um, I, uh, so per- personally, uh, I, I'm, I'm Colin, I'm CEO of Sheets and Giggles. I just turned... Uh, 30 uh, last year. So I'm on the other side of wise is the way I call it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I um, live in Denver, Colorado. I'm from South Florida originally. I have worked at a few different places in my career. I've been fired three different times. Uh, yeah. I founded Sheets and Giggles in 2017. Uh, it's now the longest I've ever worked anywhere is for myself. Um, and uh, I have a a uh, pretty fun life out here in Denver. I've got a good group of friends and I just closed my first house, um, which I'm really excited about. And that's why for your viewers who are watching this video, I am in a uh, Colorado t-shirt just surrounded by empty nothingness because I'm currently moving all my things into uh, my first, my new, my new home. So I'm really excited about that. That's awesome, dude. Congratulations. And were you fired three Thanks. times because you've been an entrepreneur your whole life? You just didn't know it. Now that you started your own business, you're like, oh, this feels right. Yes and no. I mean, I'm a terrible soldier. I don't take marching orders well. The, the first question from an entrepreneur is usually why, and the, and the first answer is usually no. Um, and so that's that's not good for being an employee of other people. Like, like you, you, you need people, and I, and I see this now in my own business, you need people who are both creative, but also who are very good at like taking, not taking orders, but like just being able to like separate maybe what they would prefer to do with what the person that um, is running the company wants them to do. And I think, and you know, I think that the, the 
trick with entrepreneurs is that they always have a different idea of how to run the company that they're at. And yeah. that's usually, I, I actually asked every entrepreneur that I know in Techstars when I was going through Techstars, why'd you start your own company? You know, not like from a mission perspective or a business perspective, but why a company? Why not a charitable organization or mm. a mastermind or a, you know, just go out and, and patent a product and try to license it to a larger company or something along those lines? And every single one of them said they wanted to be a CEO for some variation of I was tired to taking orders from somebody else. I was tired of listening to rules from somebody else. And for me, that was similar. I, you know, I think that I got laid off for the third time uh, from a startup that I had poured about three years of my life into. Wow. And um, we, you know, we all got laid off at 1 p.m. on a Monday in September 2017. And that was really emotional. That was kind of a triggering point. And I think that a lot of people need that emotional trigger to do something as crazy as start their own company. Um, and so I basically, uh, three weeks, I put my head to the, the a pen to paper. And three weeks later, I found a Sheets and Giggles because I believed in the business model. And I didn't know where it was going to take me. But um, I decided that I was never going to work for somebody else's company again. So, Dude, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. And then why, why Sheets? What made you... Get, go from getting fired, having that moment of realization of like kind of jolted you out of your comfort zone, right? Of what was normal to you. And then you're like, all right, I'm going to start sheets and giggles. How did that process uh, take place? Uh, so bed sheets, uh, this is our, our knapsack and that is spelled without a K. Um, so bed sheets are uh, a massive, highly fragmented commodities market with no brand differentiation or loyalty. Mm -hmm. uh, top, five, top five players own about 27% of the space. Highly traditionally physical retail. It hasn't been brought online totally with direct to consumer models. Uh, and there were no good sustainable options in a marketplace that was dominated by mostly cotton and polyester. Um, and so I looked at the industry. I, and this is a true story, I wrote out my first business model, my best business model. I said, What, what am I best in the world at? And, and I thought that I was best in the world at writing copy that convinced people to uh, make an order, uh, copywriting mm -hmm. basically. And so I, so I kind of translated that into, I feel like I'm really good at branding and consumer branding. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up saying, okay, I want a consumer brand. I'm going to learn from my last company that I, that I just went through this really difficult emotional tumult with. And I want to have a massive commodities market that I don't have to build myself because we were trying to create something out of nothing at the last company. I wanted something that was highly fragmented. So I don't have to chip away at a market leader, which we had to do at that last company. I wanted something that was largely traditionally physical retail so I could bring it online with a more direct to consumer model. My last company, we went heavy physical retail at launch, which was a huge mistake. Um, and I wanted something with zero brand differentiation or loyalty. So that way I wouldn't have any trouble convincing people from switching from one brand to mine. Um, and frankly, so I could zig where everybody else was zagging. And part of my specification is I wanted a really boring industry so I could be myself and be kind of funny and um, do something a little different and hopefully have more of a, a lightning rod brand. And uh, I owned sheetsgiggles.com because I thought it'd be a funny name for Bedsheets Company. Uh, I bought that probably three or four months prior on a whim. And I thought that I looked at all the domains that I owned. I was actually very inspired by my friends and mentors at alarm.com uh, who told me that part of the reason they started the company was because they had the perfect brand name for a home security company. And I said, really, you built a multi-billion dollar company partially because the name was just that good. And they were like, yeah, the name was just that good. <laughs> Dang. And I, I looked at all my domains. I own sheetsgiggles.com. I thought the betting fit my criteria. It fit it perfectly. 
And I found out that I was able to differentiate meaningfully on both the brand as well as the product. And we only do eucalyptus lyocell sheets and, and fabric instead of cotton or polyester, um, which uses way less water, way less energy, and also importantly, zero insecticides, zero pesticides. Whereas cotton uses the harmful uh, neonicotinoids that are killing bird and bee populations. And also in regards to polyester, it doesn't use any um, petrochemicals in its production Whereas polyester is, of course, the leading cause of microplastics in our waterways, um, and a single polyester sheet set can shed up to 100 million microplastic fibers per year if you wash it once per month. Um, and so when you add up the amount of sheet sets that we've sold, we've saved trillions of microplastic fibers from entering our waterways in comparison to if those people had owned polyester bed sheets. So that's kind of the mission and, and doing yeah. behind it. But really, truthfully, why bed sheets? It's a it's a, a wonderful market for me to be myself and go crazy in and build an authentic brand that stands out from the rest. That's crazy. And it sounds like you did a lot of research, put a great plan together, and it's mm-hmm. working out really well. Uh, what's some of the biggest mistakes you see other people make when they're first going to start an e-commerce store or their own brand? Um, I was just on the phone with somebody today that was, I was giving some mentorship to, um, and I, I've gotten really mentorship in my life. So I try to pay it forward with other people. And he told me, he's like, Hey, I'm about to launch. I just bought, you know, my first $10,000 worth of inventory and it's coming in on April 30th. And now I'm trying to figure out how to go out there and sell it. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) did it totally backwards. Like I did, like I, I did a, uh, and this happens all the time is like, I, I did an Indiegogo campaign a crowdfunding campaign off a, you know, a $15,000 budget. And I did that. Um, and we raised $284,000 Dang, and that was, and, and yeah, and we convinced, you know, thousands of people back in May, 2018 to wait five months for, for bed sheets, which is still my, my proudest marketing achievement of all time. Yeah. And I have a very special, I have a very special relationship with those couple thousand people who were our initial backers. I, I eternally grateful for them. And, uh, you know, they brought the company to life. But I always think about how many pre-sales could you get for your idea if you put that money instead of inventory into marketing. Mm-hmm. But it seems to move quickly on inventory because it's a very tangible thing that you're that you're buying. Mm-hmm. But with marketing and with sales, you're actually buying the customer, which is more important than yeah. actually producing the product at that point because you're getting somebody to buy into what you're building. Um, and, and that's more valuable than owning some portion of inventory. Um, so that's probably the most common mistake. And then probably not understanding your variable costs, not understanding your unit economics, not, you know, not accounting for things like discounting and returns, um, you know, not forecasting out what your break even is if marketing is, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50% of every sale, um, you know, what that looks like over time from an LTV perspective, if you're trying to, you know, I, and I think also this kind of goes into goal alignment and goal misalignment. I think a lot of people, need to be a little bit more uh, steadfast in what they're trying to achieve when they start an e-commerce business. Mm-hmm. I think some folks have a very clear vision. For me, I wanted to make $3,000 a month so I could pay my bills, eat ramen, and tell everybody. <laughs> um, and that was my, that was it. That was my goal. Um, and, and never never have my healthcare pulled out from under me suddenly ever again. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that was my goal. And, and so, you know, other people want to raise money. Other people want to build a big business. Other people want to have a little side income. And so all those goals will also inform your go to market strategy and, and how you set up the company from day one. So goal alignment as well. That's super awesome. 
you you spoke a lot about like growing the idea and even validating i guess that the customer acquisition or the offer or whatever you want to call it by doing the the indiegogo the crowdfunding yeah um all the marketing stuff and you know even your the strategic way you brought this into the market and how you kind of saw an opportunity there that's all stuff that i really get and understand and you like nailed it on the head it's super cool to to hear how that worked out for you what i'm curious about is um this is an area where I don't have as much knowledge as when you have this idea for the product and, and specifically on how you're making a difference in the environment, how did you then figure out how to either source that product, manufacture that product, or what, what was the logistical experience for you in launching, you know, this, this sheet brand? So in terms of like actually building the product and the logistics behind it, I mean, it was, it was definitely, that was a thing that I've always had uh, the most, um, I think the most trouble with in terms of like my own imposter syndrome, because mm-hmm. I, I don't have a background in textiles or, or embedding. And so mm-hmm. basically I had to hire people, <clears throat> hire people who had, you know, decades long experience in textiles. I had to ask them to be my mentors at first and then, you know, help me navigate everything from uh, reaching out to manufacturers to doing materials research and design Mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, setting up these meetings and actually having these uh, initial conversations about like what, um, you know, what the product should look like and why and, you know, the things I should be considering and why I should consider one material but not the other, um, you know, in terms of uh, talking about <laughs> everything from thread count to tensile strength to stitches per inch to all these things that, you know, the minimum order quantities and, and mm-hmm. uh, sizing and color breakdown. There, there are a million different things to consider uh, in the beginning. And so the way I approached it was, I think a little like very methodical in the sense that I said, okay, <clears throat> what is the minimum order quantity for somebody to work with me, uh, on betting? Mm-hmm. And in the betting category, it's about a quarter to half a million dollars worth of minimum order quantity. No one will really work with you if you can't guarantee that that much. And then I said, okay, well, I don't think I'm going to raise that much money for my Indiegogo. I'm targeting a hundred thousand dollars. <clears throat> so, can I get these shipments broken up into three or four shipments? So I'm paying for my minimum order quantity at $90,000, $90,000, $100,000 at a time. Mm-hmm. And then that way I can make sure that I can separate my shipments and I'm not bringing in too much inventory at once. Yes, you can do that. Okay, great. Um, and then it was, you know, well, how do I get these face-to-face meetings with these manufacturing partners and have them take me seriously? Well, there is something in New York every year called Market Week, which is Home Textiles Market Week. So flew out to New York, set up some meetings, and about a dozen manufacturers across the world um, and showed them my designs and what I wanted and talked about my specifications, did some initial negotiation, product sampling. Um, and within about a month after that, I had signed my purchase order with my manufacturer that I felt really, really good about from a sustainability and ethics perspective. Um, and they, you know, we ended up negotiating 10% deposit on the first PO. So I ended up wiring about uh Twenty-five or $30,000 to, uh, you know, my manufacturing partners to get going. But in terms of when I did that, I actually did not do that until we had specifically um, captured over 10,000 emails ahead of the Indiegogo launch. And I can talk about the crowdfunding map there a little bit, but I knew that was going to lead to at least a six-figure campaign. So I knew I would be able to uh, finance my first shipment out of that initial PO. And then the way that fabric production and design works is you can – you, you need to start producing what's called the grayish fabric, which is the raw fabric before it's dyed and cut and sewed until you're and finished into your final fabric. 
So that takes about a month or two. And so you can actually do the sizing and color breakdown midway through production. And so we had launched the initial purchase order. We got started on the work on the product. And then when we had a week of order information from the Indiegogo in terms of sizing and color breakdown, the first 1,000 orders or th- first 500 orders, I went off that as a sample size for my population for the whole PO. And we sent them that breakdown as the breakdown for the purchase order. So, um, and you know, I designed the packaging myself. I, I love packaging design. Um, and uh, I wrote every word of copy myself and uh, did all the customer service myself and all the Facebook advertising and email campaigns and everything. And put in 18 hour days for about 18 months, seven days a week when I was getting started. It sounds like it, dude. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I love about that, Colin? You said something where you like the imposter syndrome kicked in because you had no idea about sheets or the textile industry. But what I love about this age we live in is we have so much information at our fingertips. I think a lot of people get stuck at the point of, I don't know how to do that. And they just stop there. They don't say, how can I learn to do this? How can I figure it out? How can I find mentors who've done it before me and I can pay them to teach me and accelerate uh, my path. So it seems like mentors have played a crucial role in your journey. Do you want to talk a little oh, yeah. bit more about that? Cause we've, we're always harping on this, how, how mentors have really accelerated our journey and in, in growing our business. <clears throat> well, I think there's two pieces of that. One is like what mentors are and what they do. And the other piece is like, how the hell do you get them? Right. And yeah. so for me, for me, I, I moved to Denver when I was a 25 year old kid. I didn't know any, anyone except for my friend who had founded the company that I was going to be working at. And uh, I moved here for Techstars Boulder. So I got really lucky to be thrown into the Techstars ecosystem. And, uh, you know, I wasn't the founder of the company. I wasn't the CEO. So I didn't have the same type of attention or ability to get the same type of notice from people in the community. But I did go to all all the meetups, all the meetings. I said yes to everything. I went to every single thing that I could get invited to. And, you know, you, you have a conversation with someone and you say, Hey, yeah, I'm trying to sell into a retailer this year with my wearable tech product. I've never done consumer electronics. I don't know what's important to a retailer. Um, I don't know what type of terms they would be interested in. I don't know exactly how to structure the pitch. Um, and then the person by describing your problem to somebody in detail, um, in like a very specific way, right? Like how do I sell into a major retailer? Um, start to finish. Um, that person was able to tell me, you've got to meet my VP of sales. He worked at Brookstone for a number of years. He can help you understand the the retail landscape and, and that sort of thing. And then you have lunch, you pick up the bill, you buy a couple of beers, you, and then you ask them, Hey, you know, I'm looking for mentorship. Would you be willing to commit to 30 minutes a week, a phone call, every Friday where I can ask you questions to gear me up for the week ahead. Um, and in exchange, I'd love to buy you, you know, a beer here and there, buy you dinner. And, uh, and people are pretty, uh, amenable about paying it forward. So I got really lucky. I got three wonderful mentors, two of whom are now investors into sheets and giggles. That's awesome. Um, you know, and so it became a great relationship for them years later because they got to see me work and see up close how I worked and how I functioned and how I thought. Mm-hmm. And then when I started my own company three years after that, they they had no questions about investing. They were like, yeah, we're totally in. Whatever you're doing, we'll, we'll back you. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I think that like the, the what and the who are difficult for people because sometimes people try to force a round peg into a square hole. Mm-hmm. Like people have heard me talk. People have heard me talk sometimes and they'll say, oh, my gosh, I'm starting a B2B services company. And like and I really could use some mentorship. And I'm like, well, that's not I'm not really the person for that. And I can't really advise you on that. And they just keep asking. And I, and I, 
maybe I know somebody I can introduce them to, but I don't know. I, I can't help them there. So I advise people don't force a round peg into a square hole. Don't try to force a relationship if the person has, you know, family or kids or a demanding job or whatever it is. Maybe they just don't have time and that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's nothing personal. But eventually you'll meet someone that you jive with and that you have a good vibe with that person and you just feel like, you know what? Like I, I just feels like a, like my people. And those are the people that will become your mentors. And then being very specific with your ass. I have a, a 30 minute standing meeting every Friday with someone that I'm mentoring right now. And all I ask when I, <clears throat> when I meet with him is I say, what's the one thing that you need advice on this week? And he always has a very specific question of like, I'm trying to do X. Mm-hmm. What would you, what would you advise to best achieve that? And then I can, I can dive in a little bit more deeply there. So I like the specificity. That's awesome. Mentorship. Yeah, that's super, super good. Super great advice for people who are looking to get connected with a mentor. Uh, one thing I it's wanted so to mention. It's so hard to be mentors. Yeah. It's so hard. You just got, you just got, you just got to say yes to everything. You have, like, you have to, you know, you have to go to, you have to go to the Techstars meetup. You have to go to the startup weekends. You have to go to, um, you know, all the public events and the, and the talks by, you know, the local big wig tech person. And like, you have to put yourself out there. Um, mm-hmm. and you have to like, and don't force it. I feel like people tend to be overly formal or they tend to be overly stiff or, or nervous. I think, I think people respond to authenticity and just being yourself. And, um, you know, that, that's what I would advise as well. Yeah, dude, that's super awesome. Super great advice. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention that I thought it was su- super cool about your story is you said, um, oftentimes your response to, um, you know, something from your boss would be like, why, you know, under trying to understand why. And it even kind of played out later, later in your story when you're like, um, you know, you said a minimum order quantity could be, you know, quarter or half a million dollars. And then it sounds like through that conversation, you're like, well, if I put down the 10% down payment, can you just split this up into four for me? And that like gave you, uh, you know, you, you made a way where there wasn't a way, you know, it's probably clearly defined like, Hey, this is our minimum order quantity. And you're like, why? Why don't you just give it to me in four and I can get going? <laughs> so that's, that was pretty cool too. That, ha- that happens a lot. And I remember when I was negotiating contracts with, you know, re- major retailers and, and doing, we were, you know, my last company, we were in thousands of stores. Um, that would happen all the time as salespeople. Salespeople really like to hide behind, um, oh, well, we don't do that because legal won't let me or like, oh, the legal department won't let us change that. Mm-hmm. And I always love the, I love to deconstruct it. And I'll often say like, well, well, who's the name of the person in legal that you have to ask? And they're like, oh, that would be like Jessica. And then I say, okay, well, would you mind emailing Jessica and seeing me with this question? And, and they're like, yeah, I mean, I could ask. And I'm like, right. Yeah. Because, you know, they're just human beings and they, you know, can change their minds about things just like you and I can. And so, you know, let's make, let's make the ask. And like, and and it's often funny. I feel like a lot of people don't don't enjoy like that awkwardness, but I like to I like to break it down a little bit sometimes into its base part and uh, call people out when they're like acting out a role that I've seen acted out a yeah. thousand times before. <laughs> Dude, that's super good. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And so now things are things are going pretty dang well for you. Um, just before we hopped on, you were telling us a little bit of a story of like you never thought you'd be in this situation with your company. You want to elaborate on on that story with the city of Denver over there? Yeah, it's odd. I mean, I I like I said, I've got imposter syndrome all the time. So like, I've I've always intent like it, it's both intentional and unintentional in the sense of like I've always 
<clears throat> I've always said like, oh, it's my weird little betting company. Or it's like my weird little pun based betting company. Like it's just Colin's weird little idea, sheets and giggles. And um, so that does bleed into like the way that you perceive your company though over time. And so, you know, all of a sudden you look up and your weird little companies on Good Morning America. Uh, or you know you you look up and you we just we just won best overall sheets by good housekeeping's march march 2021 issue Dang. like i my 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 woke up to a text from my mom with a picture of her good housekeeping magazine that said actually i think it was my dad i think my dad reads good housekeeping because everybody's on the, you know, on, the, on the text chain it's the family text chain and there's a picture of good housekeeping with sheets and giggles circled up top as like best overall sheets that's, and that's I, awesome, and, dude. and I had high, I, I was bizarre and like, and, and so stuff like that is what really starts to, you know, allow you to see yourself maybe differently than you originally viewed yourself. And one of the things that was really surreal for me last year was, um, Denver, the city of Denver called me the downtown Denver partnership, um, and in conjunction with the mayor's office. And they said, Hey, we're building these respite motels for homeless individuals who, uh, are symptomatic. This is right when the COVID-19 outbreak was happening one year ago this month. And um, <clears throat> basically uh, they called me and they said, Hey, we need bed. We need twin XL bed sheets. We keep asking around Denver who here has bed sheets. Um, and we keep hearing sheets and giggles, sheets and giggles. You have to go and call in and ask him. And so I got a phone call and they said, Hey, do you have twin XL sheets on hand? I said, yeah, how many do you need? They said, as many as you can give us. And so I gave them our whole inventory of twin and twin XL sheets. That's, um, you know, inside of a week, we had them all at the homeless shelter. I think it was like five days from start to finish. Um, and you know, I think by, uh, June we had 300 people a night sleeping in those respite motels who were all symptomatic individuals. And that materially helps lower the spread because they're not mixing in with the general population and the, and the shelters when then mm-hmm. going back out to the rest of the community. And it was just such a surreal moment for me. I was like, why am I the guy that first off, there was a structural <laughs> problem there. Like, why is the city of Denver like, like, not, <laughs> like they should not be calling me like that's a weird that's like a weird like macro level point about United States emergency preparedness, which we can all talk about later. But like the you know, the, it was also a surreal moment for me about like you know, I've built something that like is now helping people in a way that I never anticipated. And, and that was really cool. And, and that's actually one of the things that led to us being on good morning America is Amazon caught wind of these donations and of, uh, we donated $40,000 to COVID-19 relief in cash as well in the state of Colorado. Um, it was 20% of our sales for, for a 30 day time period, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, that's awesome. And Amazon found out about it and they reached out to us. The PR department loved it. And then they said, do you mind if we pitch this to a few people here and there when, when we have the opportunity? And I said, yeah, I mean, you know, do whatever you think is best. And I got a phone call in October or early November of last year. And they, and it was the guy from Amazon PR department. He said, he said, we got it. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, we got, we got you. You're going to be on good morning America. And I was like, no shit. It was crazy. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so, um, you know, we did an interview in Denver where the home I just bought, we, we went out to the model home, the development cause GMA needed a place to shoot it. And, um, you know, it was cool cause it was like the home that I was buying and, that's awesome. Um, you know, my girlfriend's my realtor, so that was cool. So she got to like, you know, one of the homes that she sold was like on Good Morning America. It was like a whole big thing. Anyway, I'm just getting on a tangent. But like overall, it was really um 
it was really cool for me to just like uh, have that moment. And I got it was it aired on Black Friday, so I got the it was home. I was with my mom and my dad for Thanksgiving, and um, I got to watch uh, my sister, and I got to watch you know myself on Good Morning America with my family on Black Friday over Thanksgiving weekend, and it was a really surreal Dang. moment. So um, it's been a cool it's been a cool last year for sure, and I'm and I'm really enjoying the my weird little company becoming more of a national thing. Heck yeah, dude. That's awesome. That's such a cool story, man. That's awesome. And to have that moment with your family and everything, that's pretty special. I wanted to ask, we work with, we work with a lot of small businesses, you know, a lot of six figure companies trying to become seven figure companies, you know, a lot of people in the $25,000 a month range, really looking to scale, uh, if you could remember back to you in that phase, what were some of the most important keys to you scaling your business, you know, from 25 K a month to over a hundred thousand dollars a month? Um, so that's a great question. I, so the way that I'll just give you the breakdown in terms of the monthly scale. So we went from the $284,000 crowdfunding campaign, which ended in June of 2018 to pre-orders. And then we started shipping in October. Pre-order months are pretty slow. July, August, $30,000, $20,000. In September, September, we did like $20,000. And then October, we did uh, like 70. November, we did 90. So right away, we were pretty we were pretty up there. Like 90K, I was like, I did the math. And I was like, oh, that's a million dollars in your company. Yeah. And, um, and I remember we did our Purple Friday sale. Our Purple Friday sale was the week before Black Friday. From day one, I wanted to do that because I didn't want to be with, I didn't want to be busy on black Friday. I wanted to be with my family and same with my employees. So we always said, okay, purple Friday is the week before black Friday. We do our big sale that day, one day only 30% off. And so we did that in 2018 for, uh, for the very first time. And, uh, it ended up being, um, a $22,000 day. And I remember thinking like, Mm -hmm. holy shit, $22,000 day. That's, that's an $8 million a year company. If I can annualize that. Yeah. And then, and the year after that, you know, we grew, we grew from January, February of 2019, $50,000, $60,000 a month. First $100,000 a month was April 2019. And then November 2019 was our biggest month ever. And that was, we, that was our first $100,000 day was in, wow. yeah, in that's 19. Awesome. And yeah. And then this last year in November 2020, that ballooned to a quarter million dollar day, nice. which is crazy in terms of the purple Friday sale. So that's, you know, and then in terms of like, uh, it's been, it hasn't been an even trajectory. COVID-19 interrupted our yeah. growth. So that's just, I just want to give people a, a, a viewpoint in terms of like how it happened for us and how, and how quickly, and, and mm-hmm. it's been a lot of work and a lot of, uh, but like, I would say that there's a, there's some low hanging fruit, right? In terms of the paid social, digital advertising, brand name, brand name searches, brand name recognition. I would absolutely average, uh, I recommend being on Amazon. I don't think that you can you can scale without being on that channel. It's an extremely important channel. Mm-hmm. And uh, and um, you know, then from a from one more perspective and, and this is not super nuanced, but like, I think that content is probably the biggest differentiator for brands. Yeah. I've always believed that. And, you know, uh, I, for me, I invest heavily in content. I've got three full-time creatives on the team, That's um, awesome. copy social and brand. 
and uh, we're going to hire a visual designer and I, I'm a copywriter, I'm a script writer. And so I think that uh, the number one thing you can do is to put out content that's really has a lot of, uh, um, it's like almost like a lightning rod. Like the main piece of content we put out there was three men in a bed drinking red wine with avocado face masks on. I was in the middle <laughs> and, uh, you know, we got a lot of comments on that. Some good, some bad. We got a lot of shares on it. We got a lot of word of mouth from that. We, you know, we got some press from that, you know, it, yeah. it's, we got posted on and it wasn't meant to make a statement. It was just funny. It's three burly bearded dudes in bed drinking red <laughs> wine. It's just, it's just a, it's just a visual yeah. you know, dichotomy. You just yeah. don't expect to see it with a betting brand. Yep. And yeah. that's what I love. I love for me, my golden rule of content, this might be helpful for some people. And, and to answer your question, my golden rule is if you're doing content, it should be something that no one's ever seen before in your category, because mm. they, people, when I started the company, I said, we'll never do pictures of the folded sheets on the bed with the white walls and the French press copy and the <laughs> fern. And, and as you hire more people, you have to resist that pull. Yeah, the banal the banality of the industry because they see what other people are doing and they want to emulate that. Yeah. Um. And so for me, my golden rule is if it if you've seen this before, don't shoot it for sheets and giggles. And and so instead, we have you know women smoking cigars in bed. We've got you know, um, we have oh, awesome. dogs under the covers and people at the foot of the bed curled up. We've got. Uh, <laughs> You know, models with circle saws, like, you know, small female models with circle saws while their husbands are asleep in bed, sawing logs in half in the bedroom with wood chips flying everywhere. Oh, that's hilarious. And yeah, and you're trying to do stuff. I think for me, the best hack is to do stuff that people have never seen before. Yeah. And then we do get about 20% of our traffic comes from our blog posts. So we do a lot of heavy SEO driven blog posts, which is, I I think, a pretty well-known tactic by now. And and I... I, I really think that content that's valuable in and of itself versus like related to your company is very important. So I did a resume guide, for example, that I posted in February 2018 on Reddit on the job subreddit that became the top all time resume guide posts on Reddit. And um, it had has like two million downloads. And in that resume format, it has it has you know a line about sheets and giggles and you know a footer Dang. about who I am and, and the company. Yeah. It leads back to our blog post on our site about about the resumes and you know um, it's the best piece of content we've ever done in terms of traffic and brand notoriety. And it cost me nothing but a Saturday afternoon and answering a bunch of questions that people had. And so that's cool. It was uh, you know stuff. Yeah, little, little hacks like that. Yeah, that's so cool what you said about content. I love that rule of thumb. Uh, the We bring on a lot of clients that built their brand strictly organically. You know, they've done content pretty well. They've built their following on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, but And we those are the brands that we see scale really quickly once we add some paid to it. I know early on you said, you know, you were spending up to 50% of your revenue on paid traffic. Well, maybe that's just what I took. You said it could be up to 50%. It could be, yeah. What, what's your take on that as an early brand that has built up an organic? Cause we're always, we don't have a set number for percentage that you should spend on revenue when you're smaller like that. We just say, spend as much as you can to keep growing and getting market share, you know, as you're building up, then once you're more stable, you can kind of define the percentage. But early on we see people spend up to 50%. And I feel like people have to have a stomach for that if they're wanting to grow and scale and, and beat the competition. 
I, early on, I did that on Amazon. I was spending a ton of cash to just like grow the channel. I think that I think that you just have to be strategic about it in the sense of like, <clears throat> um, as again, it goes back to goals. So we've raised two million dollars of venture capital, and that's allowed us to burn money. You know, for most months in our history, it's allowed me to take chances. Thirty thousand dollars on direct mail. Goodbye, zero sales. <laughs> Let me see that again. Yeah, uh, it's allowed me to try. You know, try try things on podcasts and you know uh, try different channels and. Um, it, it's, it's a real nice luxury, but for some people, they don't have that luxury. And so, uh, I, I would say that you're correct in the sense of like getting going is important and you will lose money in the beginning. You need to recapture those people in terms of not LTV and not blowing them up right away for more and more money on the email list, but getting them to leave reviews, getting them to engage with word of mouth, getting them to post on social media about you. That was what we optimized for in the beginning. Instead of saying, hey, you just bought sheets. Would you like a comforter? Would you like pillowcases? Would you like duvet covers? We didn't want to exhaust people for that. So we did free pizza Friday giveaways. If you tag your friend on our Friday post, you know, you'll be entered in to win a free pizza this weekend purchased by us. And we bought, we probably bought a hundred pizzas for people, right? And it's, and, and it was 10 bucks a pizza on the Domino's app, right? Yeah. And so we probably, we probably gained, a ton of brand recognition, notoriety, and followers for the cost of, you know, a five, five, five deal on the Domino's app. And that was, that was a really good hack that we did. And, you know, we had, we always ask people to follow us. We always ask people to tag us on social. When you open up our box, it says sheets and giggles, talk sheet at sheets giggles. So it's a social call to action right away. Um, And, uh, and I, I think we just optimized for that word of mouth in the beginning, but overall, I think your marketing can be anywhere from 20 to 50% of your MSRP, but that, I mean, maybe even lower if you're really good at it, but like, it's all about your variable cost structure. So if you yeah. have, you know, a, a 60% uh, profit margin after your cogs and shipping and returns and discounts and defects and so on and so forth, then yeah, I mean, you can spend 40% of your, of your revenue on marketing and have a 20% contribution margin. But you know, that still means that a million dollars a month, you've only got $200,000 of operating income to run yeah. your business. Yeah. And at 400000 and at $400,000 a month, that means you only got $80,000 of operating income to run your business. So what's your payroll, what's your agencies, your attorneys, your, your accountants, your software, like, I, I don't know, man, the consumer space is really difficult. I think yeah. people, I think people hear seven figure months, million dollar months and think that, you know, these guys have it all figured out or they're rolling in it. But the truth is that the PL never gets easier to manage. Yeah. And the more money you make, the, the more you got to spend to support it. So, um, you know, if you're positive on your contribution margin, the good news is that you can scale your way out of uh, a lack of profitability. Yeah, that's awesome. Sweet, dude. I want to be respectful yeah. of your time. I know we've been jamming for a while, but it's been super valuable. Yeah. Rob, any more questions? You for sure. Wrap it up? No, dude, thanks so much. This was super, super value packed. Where can people go if they want to? Buy some sheets or learn more about you and what you're doing. Uh, where would you point uh, people? So they can just go to sheetsgiggles.com. It's just like the brand name, but no ampersand or and. Um, and uh, I'm pretty easy to find too. If you search for Colin, Sheets and Giggles, uh, you'll find me. Uh, I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, the usual places. Um, and then further, uh, you know, uh, if you want to uh, buy some sheets and you only shop on Amazon, we're also at amazon.com slash sheets. And that's my favorite nice. thing that we own is that, that URL, amazon.com slash sheets. Yeah. That's, that's super huge. awesome. So, cool, man. Well, thank you yeah. so much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been great talking to you guys. Thanks for having me. And I hope this is valuable for at least one person out there. 
Heck yeah. All right. All right. Until next time, people of the Ecom Grow Show, we'll catch you later. Peace out. <laughs>